The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad to be here with y'all on this cold, cold morning. I'm Veda with Palladio Garden. And I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm Jim Crowder, the third guy. The third guy. The third guy. Um, I have lots of notes for today called Coffee on My Paper, and Kenneth took the same notes. Yeah, I did. I was downstairs making coffee, and I couldn't find the top, you know, to my coffee mug, okay? His Yeti, which I bought for him. Thank yes. you, Jim. It has the na- our names on it and everything. And I'm down there <laughs> yeah. just throwing it around, <laughs> spilling it. I'm like, what is going on this morning? Well, Good we may not God. be able to do coffee, but we can garden a little bit. Yeah, we yep. can. Yep. yep. We have made all the mistakes you've made, and most of them multiple times. Exactly. Uh, and we've helped others who have done the same thing. So we, um, we're we glad you found us this morning. Yes, indeed. I had a customer come in, and she said, I'm not sure if I'm uh, really ready for this because I make so many mistakes. And I said, well, that's how I know a lot of stuff, because I make so many mistakes. Well, <laughs> it's the only way to learn, right? And then she said, okay, well, <laughs> I'll try a plant. And I think maybe she's addicted now. What, she get like a, a mother-in-law's tongue, like a house plant yeah, that you can't kill? Right. See, that's what we start. All the new ones, we, we start graduating up. But first, we'll go with the snake plant. Or how about the Z plant? Yeah, the ZZ. The Z, yeah, the yeah. ZZ. Oh, yeah. Another you, one easy to grow. It mm-hmm. is because you can't say I can't say Zimbafolia, Zim something. Well, that's why we just call it ZZ. Exactly, because <laughs> so many people ask me, "Well, what does ZZ stand for?" And I go Zimbolius, and they go, "Oh, that's okay. ZZ's good." <laughs> well, but you know, with house plants are actually pretty easy to grow if they you think really about are, it. Yeah, and you know, and so many people say, well, "I just I can't grow one." Mm-hmm. Well, what you're doing, you're overwatering the thing. You know, nine Basically. times out of ten, that's exactly what you're doing you're killing the thing with tender love and care right you know it's really really hard to get that we'll have new people come in and to to work and i'm telling them to not overwater but at the same time you can't let them completely dry <laughs> out and they go well don't you said don't overwater so let's go with the moisture meter that works really well yeah. it, it actually does yeah i mean there is a moisture meter that you can buy a little handheld thing it runs off of you know just a what a magnetic charge mm-hmm. i mean you, you never have to do anything but stick the probe in the yeah. ground and it gives you an instant reading you know um and, the, and they do work honestly. it does well it really helps because you know the, the thing is is they put put your finger in the soil knuckle down and if it's dry water that's not always necessarily true. If it's a larger container, especially on houseplants, there's still moisture. Down a there bit at far the bottom th- of the roots down yeah, there, sloppy, wet, exactly. and it feels dry. And no one puts their finger in there knuckle deep right. to start I with, know. okay? You don't hey. your nails They'll all go hey, up. Yes, I do. They'll oh, go right, right past their fingernail. tried and true, <laughs> Are knuckle you? deep, check. That's <laughs> the way I do it. Now, I have one of those moisture meters that I've had for... I don't know, 40 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. still works. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I assume it's working. Um, but, you know, I still, yeah. Well, I, I either pick up the pot because yeah. I can tell a lot by that, mm-hmm. or I stick my finger down in there about mm-hmm. knuckle deep because there are roots down in the bottom and that soil can be wet. Mm-hmm. But the vast majority of roots are up in the top. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Which is where they're supposed to be. Right. That's where right. they're supposed to be. And so I want to, that's what I want to check. Well, but typically, 
typically speaking, it's, this, is, this yeah. is not a rule, but I typically typical. speaking, <laughs> you know, you generally will water your house plants about every seven to ten days. Mm-hmm. Some of them yeah. not even that succulents and cactus and things, not right. even that That's often. That's almost like a month indoors but before I, you water. I've had people bring me in house plants, uh, mm-hmm. and they are just wilty over. You know, they're turning black on the tips or brown on the tips. And they're like, well, you know, I'm, I know I'm giving it plenty of water yeah. because it looks like it's underwater. Mm-hmm. Uh, and every time, you know, they're overwatering. And, and then, almost comical, a lady brought in a palm tree the other day, already still in the pot. The palm tree was about 24 inches tall, real thick and bushy. Yeah. And it looked like it was coated in this web, okay? Ew, mm-hmm. spider I mean, mites nothing city. but spider yeah. mites. Now, what caused the stress on this palm to get mites that bad? Mm-hmm. And I said, honestly, I said, either you throw this thing away yeah, or you cut this thing back, which she did. In fact, we did mm-hmm. it for her right in front of her. We cut this thing down to about six inches. OK. Yeah. And I said, take it home. Uh, you know, water as needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, spray, of course, yeah. uh, wash and spray two or three times, about five days apart. And I said, and this thing could flush yeah. back out. Hit it with some fertilizer. Oh, my God, baby, but this light. is the worst case of spider mites I've it ever seen. It sounds like it. I've, I mean, it probably was in a dark condition. It could have even went way, way dry. Way yeah. dry. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. usually what it is. Well, the moisture meter is a good tool until you start becoming more familiar as well. You know, that helps a lot. And the moisture meter can, the probe can go a little bit deeper than your knuckle as well. But it's a good tool when you're learning. And then eventually, after a while, you you catch it. You know, you start learning all the signs so you don't have to use that. I mean, it looked like a big thing of cotton candy, y'all. I've never, ever seen spider mite mm-hmm. webs this prevalent on a house. You're like running it out to Poplar yes, Avenue. Yes. Just hit it. Just to Just get it hit out the door. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, but they're, you know, house plants are a, you know, a lot of these are really, I should say, plants that really mean something to people. Um, you know, they become part of the family, I mm-hmm. promise you, to a lot of people, especially if they're handed down from the generations above you. And people would do anything to keep mm-hmm. these things healthy. But I'll go back to my initial statement a while ago. Most people kill their houseplants with tender love and care. Yeah. yeah. So and just be aware of that. One of the tough things about trying to tell people how often the water is, is such a variance in soils. There's such a variance in the root mass, whether or not it's a young plant versus an old plant. Um, you know, I've got a, a lot of succulents and I've had them in now for two weeks or so, but I had to roll them out this week and give them a good watering mm-hmm. because where they're at, it stays about 70 degrees. Yeah. And so they're drying rather quickly in there. Um, last year I kept the garage much, much cooler and I think I watered some of them twice yeah. Yeah. during the winter, Right. <clears throat> you know? So. And, and I tell you another thing that people fall into the trap of, uh, which is absolutely wrong. Um, and, and, and this has happened. I was talking to a young lady uh, a couple of weeks ago. She, she had a house plant like in a six-inch pot, okay? Well, she wanted to repot it because it was pot-bound. It needed to be repotted. But she brought in uh, a pot that was about 12 inches wide and about, mm. oh, I don't know, 10 to 12 inches deep. And I'm like, absolutely no. not. You know, you're going to kill this plant because what you're doing, you're taking this little plant that's in a six-inch pot, you're putting it in this much bigger pot, thinking, I won't have to pot this thi- repot this thing mm-hmm. again for 10 years, years right? Yeah. But what you're doing, though, you're adding so much more soil mass around that root system that's going to stay moist, okay? Mm-hmm. So it's going to be really hard to keep that plant on the dry side with that much more extra soil and the way they water. 
I was like, no. If you're in a right. six-inch pot, just go to an eight-inch pot and bump your way up. It's yeah. really crazy because you can put a tree or a shrub in a much larger pot, you but can. a house plant has to be bumped up one. Yeah, yep. So now, and, and, you know, you've got such a difference in the soil textures usually, but when they're repotted yeah. and the fact that that center root ball is going to dry very quickly because that's where all the roots are. It's not pulling water from the other soil. It's not like your soil gets dry and it moves over to it. Yeah. Right. You know, it doesn't work that way. When soil is, soil has to have 100% of the water it can hold before the particle beside it gets any. Mm-hmm. Okay. There has to be excess water. Mm-hmm. So if there's not excess water, the soil is not going to get any. And you've just got to, you've got, I usually open up, if if I'm going to step one up more than two inches or so, I'll take a pencil or a screwdriver and open up some holes in the original root ball, mm-hmm. three or four all the way around it. And so that when I'm watering, I know water pours to the inside of that root ball and right. make sure it's moist. Right. Right. I yeah. got you. Yeah, that's why we're always saying break the root ball up um, when you're planting. Because, I mean, the same thing goes to trees and shrubs as it does to uh, house plants. And we're always telling people you either plant wet to wet, that's a wet root ball and wet soil, or dry to dry, wet soil, wet root ball. That way it starts out evenly, yeah. and then your watering and all can, can help with that. And then the last thing is, you know, and I shook my head, for a month after Jim said this, <laughs> yeah. you know, in, in uh-huh. fact, me, I even told the story that me and my mother got into an argument about it, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm going off. I'm Jim's, breaking up families I'm going off now. Jim's yeah. science over right. here is, you know, so many people think that you need two or three inches of gravel in the bottom of a pot um, for drainage. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay to have a little bit of gravel in the bottom of the pot. And that just, you know, to keep the well, whole. you can have three or four inches yeah. in there. <laughs> It's just not helping your drainage. (laughs) (laughs) Because what Jim was saying was at the bottom of the soil level, wherever that Mm -hmm. bottom of the soil level is, that's going to be, after you water, that's going to be the wettest part of your soil. And if you keep adding a lot of rock in the bottom of your pot, well, you're pushing the soil level up to the root system, okay? Which is not a good thing. Yeah. So I, I finally, you know, you know, got my pen and a piece of paper, drew the illustration. Okay, I'm like, okay, Jim is right about yeah. this, you know. But like we do the um, terrariums at work and or the glass vases or glass, square glass containers. And so we'll put different varieties of rocks for the colors, you know, for the look, the design. Then we'll put the house plant in there and add more rocks on top or um, cute mosses or something like that. But since it's in a glass jar, you can monitor the water. You know, you, well, you can, can tell see what's going if on. you're yeah. filling it up too much. And it's just amazing how to watch the things grow in the glass jars. Now, is there any kind of container that y'all don't like for houseplants? I mean, as far mm-hmm. as... You know, there's porcelain, there's clay, there's right. plastic, uh, there's epoxy, lightweight foam. Well, it's like all of them are great. You just pick different ways to, like some of them have no holes in the bottom. Which, which is, is a, it's, it's a hard, right. it's a hard thing. But if you're doing houseplants indoors and you like to switch them out, then you don't plant in the pot with no holes. Gotcha. This, this is more designed for like your dining room table. And you can put like a uh, plant right into the pot right, and water it. It's a pot it. cover. It's not really the pot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's because pot. we do see people potting house plants in containers that have no drainage. Yes, and then watering. But we've got to go to a break. So we'd love to answer your gardening questions. You have any questions at all? Call us eight four four seven four seven eight eight six eight. We'll be right back. 
Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You can listen to us on kwamradio.com. You can stream that way. Uh, you can listen to us by the podcast. Yep, you can go to, uh, what, uh, 990 AM and 107.9 FM. And, of course, the Mighty 990, you can see Miss Veda right there. You can shoot us a text anytime you want. And, y'all, I've got this question, this age-old question that uh, had a gentleman ask me. He said, all right, Kenny, he said, give me the, the honest truth about this. And I said, well, I'm going to give you the truth regardless, you know. <laughs> and he said, uh, I always put Christmas lights on my shrubs in front of my house. And I said, gotcha. Mm-hmm. You know, most a lot of people do, of course. He said, is that doing any damage to my shrubs? And so, I was like, the only way you're going to damage your shrubs by putting Christmas lights on the front of your house is if you break limbs, putting them on there, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because he was concerned about it generating heat and then that causing a problem on cold nights or whatever, you know, the heat fluctuations yeah. of the plant. And I said, no. You know, these lights now, I mean, even these little incandescent lights that we all used to put up there, they don't generate enough heat to do anything, especially the LEDs now. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't generate any heat. But he was, uh, he was really concerned about putting lights uh, on the shrubs uh, of his, yeah, uh, like, will the heat make my azaleas bloom too? Soon? Exactly, or will it bud <laughs> out? You know, will it will it will it cause a problem, especially mm-hmm. during the you know the winter because that's when we have the lights out anyway. Well, yeah, I knew you were no, going to say no. that because because yeah, if actually, you break actually, it down, there, there can be some detrimental effects. Now, luckily, it's it's a relatively short period of time that we have the lights on there, uh, but it can disrupt the photo period of your plants. In fact, there's been a a serious discussion going on at the Botanic Gardens for a number of years now about extending the lights into other parts of the garden. Like a floodlight, spotlight, whatever. Yeah, Yeah. and leaving those on as long as they do, uh, it it actually can mess up the photo period. Mm -hmm. In fact, you know, I have seen many, many times where people have planted... Um, particularly needled evergreens and spruces, particularly planted them next to a gas light, and they'll die off on that side uh, next to the light in because that, the, in that weird right, they mm-hmm. they need that dark period. Yeah. Um, so for homeowners, nah, not going to be a problem. Right, right. You know, but if you light it up like Griswold, then you're going. <laughs> you could have some issues. But isn't that amazing though? How you know plants. Uh, like you just mentioned, Jim, some of these needled evergreens. I mean, they need that dark period. Right. You know, if you think you know? about where so many of them grow is north of us, you know, when you get into extremely cold temperatures where they have very long nights during the wintertime yeah. and very long days during the summertime. Yeah. So it's they have evolved differently than plants that have evolved in our area. So, you know, that's part of the reason that you sometimes have difficulty trying to plant an Alaskan spruce yeah. mm-hmm. in Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. I had a guy come into the garden center this week, and Jimmy heard you make the comment about, you know, anything that starts with Alaskan, Siberian, yeah. Yeah. Canadian, uh, you know. Alberta, yeah, Colorado. It, it probably doesn't do that well around here. It could be a challenge. And he was like, you know, I've come to find that out, you yeah. know. And he was buying some Alberta spruce to put in containers, put lights on them, and just know that he can – Surely enjoy them through the fall, the winter, and even the spring. And next summer when it gets hot, they might make it, they might not. But he said, but it had that Alberta spruce Mm -hmm. on there. And he remembered what Jim said about, (laughs) 
you know, these these words, these key words that might mean yeah. something. Yeah. You know? it, and you can do that. I mean, you have to put a couple of dwarf Alberta spruces in, in containers, you know, prefer them get to full sun during the wintertime. Uh, and then just, you know, when it starts getting into really hot temperatures, you snatch <coughs> that pot out. You know, you don't plant it in the, in your container. It's, again, like a, just a, 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 a pot holder. Right. You drop it in the ground back in the garden. You usually don't have to worry about it, you know. And, uh, and then come fall, snatch it back out, put it back mm-hmm. in there. I usually put them in there and just surround them with pine bark nuggets, you know, and cover them up, and they look like they're planted in there. Yeah, uh, but, exactly. And they'll take, they'll take the hard freezing that so many plants can't. Uh, so it's it's a good way just to give you something green in your containers through the winter. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah, and, and good drainage, you know, keep the drainage going. I think in the summer sometimes we try to water too much because we know they like the cooler weather, so we think we, we compensate with adding water. Yeah, that's different. Yeah. That's not cool. That's wet. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't, right, it doesn't cool you down at all. So, uh, but then winter, winter, you don't have to worry about overwatering at all. Yeah, well, I mean, and you're right. And But, but you know, it's always, go, to me, it always goes back to drainage. I mean, when you're talking about things like an Alberta spruce, for example, um, you can't let them dry out completely, mm-hmm. kind of like a sky pencil holly and some of these other plants. But at the same time, you can't overwater. And a lot of times, people don't really overwater, per se. Yeah. They just don't have good drainage. Right. So when they do water, you know, that water is just not going anywhere, sitting there around that root ball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if, even if they're watering the way they think they should, and maybe they should water that way, they just don't have the drainage. That's right. You know, it's not so much how much water, it's how quickly it gets away from the roots that's critical. Um, You know, and I've mentioned this before, so many plants have this threshold that if you exceed that threshold uh, of how wet that soil is, the plant dies. Um, The the North Carolina white pine, about if it exceeds, the soil stays wet more than 17% of the time, it dies. All Mm. right, we're going to run to a break. So I hope you're awake and have your coffee, your tea, or whatever, and give us a call, 844-747. Boxwood Blight coming up. Yep. 8868. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad to have you with us this morning. I know you're probably still sleeping off your turkey and ham and dressing and yes. chocolate pie, apple pie, sweet potato. Oh, sorry. I was in the Fudge stupor. Fudge pie. <laughs> it's all good, though. Yeah. So, um, then. Scott Squares. They were, mm, oh, they were wonderful. Fudge. <laughs> yeah, coffee. So much wine. Food. Food I can't imagine why yesterday at work I was just kind of staring while I'm walking around. <laughs> but if you want to give us a call this morning, guys, the local number 260-5926, 901-260-5926. Invaded that other number. It, it is 844-747-8868. All right, Jim made a comment about when we were going to the break that we're going to talk about Boxwood blight. And that is a bad word around here. Uh, we've heard about boxwood blight. I mean, we've heard about it for the last 10 years. Yeah, we knew it was going to get here. Just now it is. We were talking about it at the beginning, the middle, beginning of this year, oh, middle of this year. Every I year, think, yeah. you know, we've been just saying, you know, up in the Virginias and the Carolinas and, you know, they've been, you know, hit pretty hard with uh, boxwood blight. 
um, you know, and, and like Saunders, you know, that's where they grow a lot of the boxwoods. Mm-hmm. And they ship them out all over the country, you know. And if you get blight up there, I mean, that's their livelihood, yeah. you know. But uh, you're saying, uh, Jim, invaded that there's been one case that's been officially reported here in the Mid-South, here in Shelby County, actually, yep. of boxwood blight. Yeah, it, <clears throat> this disease originated, it was first found in the U.S. Uh, about 2011 in a nursery in Virginia. It um, has since spread to nearly 30 states, little isolated pockets here and there. So it, we knew we weren't going to be able to stop it. And it's been in Knoxville and Nashville for a couple of years. But this past week, we had a positive ID here. And Memphis is such a boxwood town, yeah. particularly American boxwood, which are extremely susceptible. Uh, some boxwoods are fairly uh, resistant to it. You know, um, the plain old wintergreen that we grow yeah. is uh, is pretty resistant to it. And there's some new boxwoods out there. The, <laughs> yeah, market, the, the new gens yeah. and all those. Independence yeah. and freedom that are more yeah. resistant, but not completely. Yeah, they can still have the disease. It's just that you don't see the symptoms with it. And, and, um, and the symptoms are? Well, mainly it's defoliation. If you look at the stems, you get black striping on the stems. And that's the telltale sign, yes, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, um, and it happens fairly quickly just you know like particularly the bottom half of a plant just goes naked in just a few days mm. uh so the thing is it's it, the spores are extremely sticky they don't blow in the wind so you can get it from your neighbors that way <laughs> however you can um pass it on just about anything your shoes yeah. uh we know that birds can get to it can stick to them and can and can move it uh, but spray hoses, uh, head shears, things like that, if you have maintenance companies that are doing multiple yards, they can easily spread it to a great number of yards. In fact, we know that the person that maintains this particular garden uh, has at least 60 accounts in that general area. Lordy. So, the, you know, I think by s- next summer we're going to see it in some other gardens. And it's not through any fault of a nurse or anything. These weren't infected plants. This is a well-established garden that somehow it got into. Um, And it could be as much as somebody visiting in Virginia and walking through a garden where it's in it and then bringing the spores on their shoes back here. It's amazing. Yeah. So it's it was going to happen and, and now finally it has. So all right, so if you've got a boxwood, especially American <coughs> boxwoods out there, and you see you know, because we all we always see some of those symptoms you know, where you have the browning of the leaf and yeah. the defoliation, and that can be from a lot of different can things. Can be just sun, can be volutella, can be yeah. a number of things. But but you're saying, but now, if you see the black spots, I should say, on the leaves, on the leaves but yeah. also the black lesions on the on the stems, yeah. uh, that's really what sets it yeah, apart. Yeah, and that's where you want to call um, your the local um, field inspector. I have posted... Leslie's phone number on uh, on our Facebook group and some information about the disease, showing some pictures of it, the garden that's infected, and also sh- what Virginia has been dealing with this longer, and they have what's called the best maintenance practices for eliminating it from your garden, which means digging up the plant, uh, the roots, vacuuming the leaves, uh, and then either <coughs> burning it, 
Um, double bagging it, it can go in the trash, but you don't want it to go to a compost pile or to a, you really don't want it to go to uh, like a mulch company that right. would chop them up. Right. I wonder yeah. why, like we, uh, I've heard, or we've talked about it on the show, how it doesn't matter if you remove your leaves for, say, roses when you get black spot or hydrangeas when they get the fungal. So we're like, eh, you know, it's okay. Just leave the leaves. But on boxwood blight, why do we have to remove Well, because the it is so sticky, it sticks to the foliage there. Mm-hmm. You know, Next whereas board. things like yeah. black spots blown in the wind. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and it's covering, you know, if you've got black spot on a rose, all the plants around that... You know, all yeah. through your yard, they've got black spot spores on them. Right. They just are not germinating because it's not suitable host. Right. Yeah. Whereas boxwood blight is not spread by the wind, but it can be splashed up from the ground onto mm-hmm. uninfected plants. Uh, and or if you carry it in, then it can be splashed up on plants. But what about mm-hmm. chemical control? I've read about, uh, you know, dacanil. Dacanil is, is for, a good preventative. Um, um but, but there are really no curatives out there as no far cure. as when it comes to sprays. But you're talking with dacanil spraying every two weeks, all growing season long, yeah. every year, as long as you've got the boxwoods. And that's just, to me, almost impractical. Right. So, you know, if you lose some, then, you know, I have on, on again, on our Facebook group, there's a list of the boxwoods and i'm going to put in a uh, in the next day or so a, a much longer list of uh, varieties of boxwood that are uh, susceptible or mildly susceptible right. or you know just don't plant them <laughs> uh, and and the other bad thing is this, this apparently just hits members of the buxiaceae family but that includes pachysandra which is a tr- mm-hmm. actually in the boxwood family. I know. I read and, about that a couple of days ago. I was shocked about and, that. And sarcococca, sweet box. And there's mm-hmm. some of those around. We've been selling them yeah. for years at 64 and Dan West because they're so fragrant. They are a little challenging to grow here sometime, but they're in that same mm-hmm. family. And so far, it's only affecting plants in that family. Yeah, see, isn't that amazing that Pacasandra, I know that just, ground cover. Uh-huh. Well, I guess for you tell already, you know, and yeah. it gets scale, and here's just something else it could get. But what a shame, though, because boxwoods are part of our just texture here. I mean, oh, it, yeah. it just is. It's I mean, part if you of look our at fabric. Like you Dixon know? Gallery and Gardens, there's probably some specimens in there that are nearly 100 years old. Right. Yeah. Um, and those are, are probably American boxwood. They're plain old American boxwood because that's what we've grown so much of here in the United States. So you think what's going to happen, Jim? Let's just say if boxwood blight in, in Veda, if it does take a foothold here in Shelby County, uh, and people start losing their boxwoods. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, are they going to replace this with, you know, hollies? Are they going to just go to other boxwoods that um, are so much more or less well, susceptible? Or we go to distilliums or right. we go to I mean, Nana Globosa. Right. I don't know. We're just going to um, figure out how to be more careful you know but it's so hard how long have we been saying don't prune crepe myrtles back all the way yeah, but still we still do, do it, it. Right. so this is going to be but, you know, really it, difficult the important control. thing i want really our listeners to take out of this is if you have a maintenance company ask them before if you've got boxwood and you want to keep them ask them to sterilize your tools before working in your garden and, and they'll do them. that with lysol just lysol can spray will will okay. take care of it ask them to spray mm-hmm. them down and they should be doing that between every account um 
but it's going to be difficult, you know, for guys that operate out of pickup trucks mm-hmm. uh, to right. get that information out yeah. uh, and to get them to abide by it. They're going to have to lice all the bottom of their shoes. They're yes. going to have to lice all their body. <laughs> you know, in in I some cases, know. if it's severe, you know, you can hire companies to come in and with the Tyvek suits that where they they're disposable each day. Uh, and they go in there and take them, do the vacuum, and get it all as much of it out as possible. Oh, let me ask you this then. All right, like you said, if you if you you know look up and understand what boxwood blight looks like on a boxwood, and you realize that you have boxwood blight, then you're saying first of all call Leslie Hollinsworth, right? Um, and you've got her name and number on your Facebook page, right? And I'll, South Gardening. I'll give it out here for the end. Of and the then program. is the next step is to is it to just dig the thing up like you said, double bag it and get rid of it, Jim? Yes. All right, because most people aren't going to go out there and try to spray mm-hmm. every two weeks for the rest of the and life what, of the boxwood. And once you've got it, it isn't going to matter because it's already there. And the other downside of this. Is if you take it out, but don't do all the proper cleaning, it produces a spore that can persist in your soil for five to six years. Oh, gross. yeah. So you know you could be clean for two years and then it suddenly pops. Well, up that was going to be my next question. If you went in there and, and it does become a problem here in Shelby County, and just cut all that that blight out of your boxwood, yeah, you can't cut it out. You got to remove the boxwood. You know, I wish I had better news. That is unbelievable. But, you know, people are going to, if you've got a prize boxwood, then you want to be very careful about who works in your garden and be, you know. Well, the, and, and let me say this, and, the, and I guess the good thing is there are boxwoods out there, you know, hybrid boxwoods, newer, some I'm new, some I'm old, that are much more. Uh, less susceptible to right. this. It's not like you can't get it. Right, and it, and it's really weird because, like, um, there's uh, Buxus Seneca. There are a number of those. Justin Browers is extremely susceptible. Yeah. But Buxus Seneca, uh, Seneca minima, which is a dwarf, is very tolerant, and they're very closely related. So it's it's just really unusual about how this disease is affecting the different boxwood. Yeah. So, all right, we're going to head to a break mm. and maybe talk about some other things as well. You can call us at 844-747-8868. We'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You have a garden question? Give us a call 844-747-8868. Watch us on Facebook Live if you're having trouble getting us on the radio. It's kwamradio.com to stream us online. Yes, ma'am. And you, there's Miss Vader right there. I'm sitting here looking at you right now. Yeah, you, on the phone or? On, on the, the phone. Beach. And you look great, Vader. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Look up. Look up. Shoot We're actually a, here. Shoot us a text. But that was good, good information, guys, about uh, boxwood blight. That's, I mean, it's that's crazy. Depressing. And, and, of course, this time of year, you know, where I'm at, at Dan West, and even t- to you, Vader, uh, God, man, we're just such in the Christmas mode. Mm-hmm. And it's a fun, festive time of year. And we talked about, uh, you know, some uh, cut Christmas tree care. Uh, and Jim and Vader, y'all get into that into the third hour. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, even in short term, when people are buying their wreaths and roping, you know, a lot of people, the day after Thanksgiving, it's game mm-hmm. on, right? Let's yeah. get this place decorated. But it, at the very least, guys, uh, you know, I've seen people hanging uh, beautiful live wreaths uh, on doors and windows that face just dead west. Gets tons of sun in the afternoon. 
And that's fine because most of them last till March anyway, right? <laughs> but it, it never hurts to do two things before you put your garland up and your wreaths up, especially if you're doing them outside or it, even inside, is overnight, you know, soak those things. I mean, whether you wet them down and put wet leaves on them, whether you put them in a, just a tub of water, um, soak them to let them just absorb as much moisture as you possibly can. That's one. And then, two, we talk about this all the time is the, uh, you know, something like the wilt proof mm-hmm. that you can spray on the foliage, and that'll help lock that moisture in. But you'll be amazed how long these things will last and how fresh they'll look uh, if you do uh, one or two or both of those things. Well, um, it just makes a difference. The other thing is, too, and I know y'all do it and we do it, but when they're, we, we're keeping the wreaths in stock until Christmas, of course, or. Yeah. Um, but you have to, we keep them in the shade and to. make sure they're they're kept moist, only because we want them to stay as fresh as possible for you when you take them home. Exactly. Um, it's not you can hang it on the door like we were saying. It doesn't have to be in the shade, but we're keeping them in the shade just so they're not. You want that thing to be as fresh than, looking, right? Yeah, and we water them like when they came in the other day. I watered them all, even though it was going to rain Sunday night. Or Saturday night and mm-hmm. Sunday, but we got them in, and I said, you know, just soak them. It doesn't matter. I want to be as fresh as possible. So if you're going somewhere and you see where wreaths have just been sitting out in the sun. Not good. Yeah, then maybe. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah. And then the other thing, a lot of people will also go ahead and get their wreaths uh, and their garlands, knowing that they're not going to put them up for another week or 10 mm-hmm. days. But they know if they wait that long to get them, they might not get the sizes they're looking for. So the same thing. I mean, take them home, put them up, you know, in the shade, up under some shrubs or whatever, put some leaves or wheat straw, rice straw, whatever on top of them, hold that moisture in. And then when you're ready, you you have them, Mm -hmm. but they'll be just as fresh uh, if you do that as the day that you purchase them. Now, like you said, Veda, you can't go out there and throw them out there on the picnic table in the sun. They're going to dry up like anything else. So so moisture is is really the key in keeping these things uh, fresh and viable until you get ready to use them. And if you use them the next day, like I said, just soak them overnight. And we're going to be 10 degrees above normal next week. Oh, wow. I love yeah, that. Yeah, it's supposed to be like high 65, 68. So uh, that kind of makes it warm on the wreaths and roping as well. Yeah, but if, but if you do those things, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it really helps. Now, a lot of people take this stuff down the day after Christmas. I mm-hmm. get that. Uh, but a lot of people put them up the day after Thanksgiving. So, you know, you've got a, a, a Christmas season that you're trying to keep these things fresh. So I really think that'll help you a lot if you do that, guys. Right. Well, we've got a lot to talk about in the next two hours for sure. So many things going on in the garden. And we'd like to get uh, questions from y'all. Wonder what you're thinking. We've got listeners all over the United States. You can text in your questions mm-hmm. um, on our Facebook Live. Um, but, you know, what are some things we're going to go over? Christmas tree care and um, shrubs that you can plant this time of year. Well, you can plant anything, but things that look good. And then, you know, I wrote down some bullet points also, mm-hmm. you know, about pansies heaving themselves out of the ground. What is that all about? Yeah. You know, planting bulbs, of course, this time of year, uh, you know, and cutting back roses and and I say that because of more than just one reason, not just mm-hmm. because I want to cut my roses back, but also maybe to help prevent some uh, rose rosette. We'll talk about that also. But pruning can have a, 
you know, something to do with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Pruning has more to do with things than anyone thinks. And really. then, you know, we've touched on this before, but what about those things that we need to dig up? You know, whether it's caladiums or elephant ears, mm-hmm. do we really need to do that? Or is that something we just see what happens right. and maybe plant the next year? Or is it too late after we had a few freezes? I don't know. <laughs> Jim? Jim, we were seeing if you had anything to add. Well, we're seeing. You know, just asking questions over there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you want an answer, yell at me. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, I think you've got plenty of time if you're trying to dig things up. Caladiums are okay, I think, you know, as long as you get them up now. And then, because what are your chances if you don't? Oh, zero. Yeah, okay, that's <laughs> what know, I wanted to somebody to they're say. They're like Zone Eleven Hardy, which is you know south of Miami. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, oh my word. Um, but yeah, in in the way that, yeah, I got time to tell you how to do this. Okay, <laughs> the best way to do, to do that is dig them up, set them out in the sun, let them dry for a couple of days. Now, if it's going to be freezing at night, then uh, you don't want to leave them out at night, but. I'll, um, you, he's throwing me fingers. Yeah, so seconds. we will go. <laughs> we got Y'all just hang seconds. on, and we're going to tell you right after these breaks. We'll be right back. You're listening to Beta Kenneth and Jim on Mid-South Gardening. garden help you need now mid-south gardening powered by palladio home and garden with your hosts veda vance kenneth mabry and jim crowder good morning mid-south gardeners and welcome to mid-south gardening i'm veda with palladio garden and i'm kenneth mabry with dan west garden centers and i'm jim crowder retired nursery person what did he say while ago? the third person yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the i'm third the third person. person unless you're going by weight then i'm half to be <laughs> not so why do you say that not so not so and guys if you want to get in touch with us <laughs> this morning 901-260-5926 901-260-5926 and the it is 844-747-8868 yeah i looked like i was here but i was staring yeah. Not here. And then the Mighty 990 Facebook page. There's Miss Fader right there and kwmradio.com. There's so many different ways. Give us a call. Shoot us a text if you have mm-hmm. any questions whatsoever. You know, you had, uh, we're talking about where a customer had asked if the lights on the shrub could cause any difference. Christmas lights on, yeah. on shrubs. But then that, that made me think of, of um, actually, now it's called ath- Athropogenic Light. And noise pollution, which means it's created by humans. Hey, we've talked and, about this before, yeah, you know. But it affects birds or animals. It affects it, humans also. Yeah. I told, I told you. The, go ahead, Fade. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. The, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's there's got to be some garden etiquette out there. Mm-hmm. There just has to be. And I hope my neighbor's not listening, but he put in some <laughs> lights on the back and the side of his house. Okay. Mm-hmm. And. Thank the Lord that he didn't cut them on hardly ever. Yeah. But when he does, I could lay in my backyard at midnight and get mm-hmm. a tan. Yeah. I'm not kidding. It sounds like that Christmas show. Is that the vacation where they put the Christmas lights but up? But these are just spotlights. I mean, they're spotlights, and they are so bright. And it's not oh. just shining down in his yard. That's mm-hmm. fine. Shine yeah. whatever you want in your yard. 
I mean, I could I could walk out there mm-hmm. honestly and see a bug crawling right. across the grass. Oh my goodness! In the middle of the night. Well, see the thing, what? Because uh, you know, animals and all are sensitive to the light because that's what helps them know when it's time to, you know, by the warmth when it's time to mate because it'll be safe to have your little chicks and all of that. So with if they're in an area that there's fake light right. <laughs> all the time then actually um they will nest earlier because oh. of because they think you know the the season's changing or even the noise pollution that's so loud that when birds are calling out um to communicate they can't be heard because of all the noise pollution so you mean because of all the straight mufflers you see on yeah, cars now and right. you can't hear yourself think yeah if you're just standing beside any road here in memphis exactly and bluebirds <clears throat> are apparently <throat> uh, more particular about the light being there too long so maybe if you're not getting bluebirds and you've got porch lights and all of that lighting up your backyard then Maybe the birds are just not going there well, for environmental reasons. But in my thing, I'm telling you, there's a huge difference between a back porch light mm-hmm. and these sunbeams that that's on the corner of this house. I mean, I can't tell you how bright yeah. these things are, guys. That's it's like amazing. The urban areas, you know, where you've got the whole street that's lit up. Um, I mean, there's nowhere dark, hardly. I know. Or you it, ride the whole interstate. Unless you've been to some place that's really dark, yeah. Yeah. you don't realize how many stars are up there. This yeah. is so true. Yeah, you know, yeah. I've uh, been lucky enough to go to Hawaii a couple of times, mm-hmm. and it's, you. I mean, there's almost no black. There are wow. so many stars. Now, I have yeah. not seen that before. It, it's yeah. just amazing that, you know, and you get mm-hmm. here and there are four. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But there's there's, and there are planets. The, the only thing I can see is the Big Dipper anymore. Yeah, you know? I mean, there's noise pollution and there's definitely light pollution yeah. also. But, hey, you know, I'm still going to put my Christmas lights up. You know, I know it's not going to hurt my shrubs. Well, like and we're it's winter about. time as well, yeah. you know, so we're not totally affecting the birds and everything and they can hear better because there's no leaves on the trees all right should <laughs> right we, should we exactly well i mean when exactly the leaves, when the leaves fall off all the trees i can hear the street so much better all i can hear is the cars well it didn't didn't i tell you about i made a house call uh a couple of weeks ago I went to a young lady's house i think i told y'all this story um and i you know was driving down their driveway and I had to drive through a, a grove of woods, mm-hmm. okay, to get to the open area uh, and then the house. Yeah. And even though this was uh, out towards Collierville, uh, even though it was off of Poplar Avenue, <laughs> you couldn't hear anything. Oh, beautiful. I'm telling you, because you had, the, the you know, just a thicket of woods uh, between the house and Poplar Avenue. And, of mm-hmm. course, the house was set back also. But I'm telling you, y'all, it was quiet as a mouse. You couldn't hear anything. And it was right in the middle of the city. Yep. Well, yeah, not I mean, the but, city, but, city, but, but urban trees, areas. But trees, yeah. though. I mean, they, they catch a lot of that. Mm-hmm. In fact, a lot of people that live close to a busy street, whether it's Poplar or Central or whatever, uh, you'll see a lot of times these, geez, these thick groves of arbovitas or yeah. whatever. Not only do they look good, people are putting them out there to have their green fence. 
you know. Yeah. But also, it really cuts down on that on the noise that we mm-hmm. hear coming from just say a, a busy city street. It hides all that a- anthropogenic yes, lighting and does. noise pollution. Yes, it does. <laughs> Why can't we just? She's say, been researching this week. <laughs> <I like laughs> that word. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know why don't we? Especially just, how to pronounce that. Yeah, I had to hit that uh, speaker like yeah. fifty times. Yeah. Where she says anthropogenic. Hey, but it is a real thing, though. Don't think it's not, you know? Yeah. And, Jim, before we were going to the break, we were talking about... You Storing know, palladium bulbs. Yeah. Uh, and, and our elephant ears. Yeah. Well, I never dig up my elephant ears. You know, they're planted deep enough that most winters they're going to be fine. And they're going. the mother plant usually dies anyway. You're getting pups the off the base. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I usually leave those in the ground. Um, unless it's just an unusually rare one then you know you might want to dig it up but uh, more concerned with caladiums because if you're planting many of them that's it's quite an expense well because you also know that if you plant a caladium bulb in the ground and you don't dig it up it's not going to come back right it's where elephant ears you got a much better chance yeah but you know if you dig them up let them dry i usually like to dust mine with a little sulfur Mm -hmm. uh, to keep them from having any dry rot on them and then i use the the cardboard uh, crates that like canned cokes come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, take those and put a piece of paper at the bottom. And Hold I'm on. All, the I, cardboard crate. The little box, you know, that a 12, when yeah, you yeah, buy yes. four or six okay. packs. All right, gotcha. uh, use that and put a paper in, newspaper in it and then um, space the bulbs out so that they don't touch. Then put another layer of newspaper and you can put bulbs on top of that. You and you can usually get about three layers. Can you imagine uh-huh. people in Hawaii <coughs> laugh at us yeah. because of what we're doing with these bulbs, how we're cradling them, loving them, and yeah. blanketing yeah. them? Yeah, but I mean, caladiums, I mean, like you said, I mean, if you don't have to buy them every year and you have the time yeah. to, to store them, dig them up and store them. They're going to be smaller <clears throat> than they were when you put them in. I mean, they they... They deplete so much of their energy in producing foliage. And particularly if you let them bloom, try not uh-huh. to let them bloom. That little thing comes up, looks like a rocket in there, and everybody goes, oh, I didn't know Clayton yeah. bloomed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, don't let them because they plants have a one-track mind. They, they can do one thing very well, but they don't do two things well, kind of like me. Um, <laughs> if, if they're focused on reproduction, all of their energy goes to that. So if you'll keep that out, then they'll continue to produce leaves, which helps build the bulb back uh but then once you once you've got your layers in there then you take another one of those little boxes and put on top and then you know tape them together and slide them up underneath the bed where it's Mm -hmm. you know cool and dry okay so and and they'll be just fine there and and then of course next year when the temperatures so much warmer enough after may 1st or so but you said typically jim when you dig them up the bulb is going to be smaller than it was the day you put it in the ground so will the bulb ever get bigger no no not here Uh, our growing season is just not long enough to really rebuild those and um, you know what i do every year is when i'm planting caladiums uh, pop the eye out of it when you know it looks where it looks like it's going to sprout pop it out plant it upside down that way you get <laughs> a whole lot more foliage in fact you know when you when like at the botanic gardens when i was buying caladiums there to plant you could get them de-eyed for you so that you really didn't have to do that yeah uh and then what you end up with is a whole lot of foliage less blooms uh, they're not usually mm-hmm. quite as tall, which is what you want anyway. Good. Right, yeah. but they they perform so much better. Well, I've, I'm just sitting here envisioning Jim doing all of this, which I know he's mm-hmm. done before, and then lightly dusting these bulbs with sulfur, you yeah. know, and then at some point just sliding them up under the bed, and then somebody's gonna walk in that room and go, 
Man, it smells like sulfur in here. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. But if you're probably like, his wife, if that's, you're uh, that's why I them. sleep in the recliner. I understand because yeah. <laughs> all the sulfur bulbs are under the bed. Now we know. But if you're keeping them dry and not wet and separated, like Jim was talking about, you really. Sh- theory shouldn't need the sulfur because your environment that's right right. but you can i mean it it helps keep that rotting process down yeah and then jim um and i'm just kind of go back over this for me um hardy bananas you know you you say you don't cut yours all the way down i just cut the leaves off leave the stems up oh well we've got another mystery because we're going to go to a break not another mystery. She keeps doing that. I to know, me. I know. This is great. I'm like, oh, I hope he starts talking right at the break. But see, I gotta ask him a question about that, though. We'll be right back. This is Mid South Gardening. Good morning, Mid South Gardeners, and welcome back to Mid South Gardening. You have gardening questions? Call us eight four four seven four seven eight eight six eight. If you're having trouble picking us up, you can go to kwamradio.com and stream us online. You can. And I had a texter text in a on texter. the mighty a texter <laughs> on the mighty nine ninety uh, Facebook page, and it says, "At what point do you remove caladium bulbs foliage before storing the bulb?" So. There are I mean, you remove lots the of answers, and, and Jim just had a plethora, so we'll, we'll let him have the floor. Well, I mean, one thing you can do, of course, <laughs> you can dig the bulbs up any time, really. Yeah. But then you let the, and just lay them down in the garage. You know, when mm-hmm. I say lay them down, put them in a box and just let that foliage naturally just die back uh, before you cut it off at bulb level, right. right? Or if you're digging them up late, like this time of year, mm-hmm. um you know, that foliage is already wilting back anyway right? because of the frost and the cold weather. Uh, and just go ahead and cut them off at uh, at bulb level. Thank you, Jim. Right? <laughs> yeah, I usually, you know, normally you start getting nighttime temperatures in the 40s and the foliage <clears throat> starts to yellow and collapse. Yeah. So that's, that's usually when I dig them up. So do you think we're past time now since we had two freezes at night? Well, I don't think the ground has frozen, so mm-hmm. the bulbs probably okay but you'll know if when you dig them up <laughs> yeah, yeah you know, you they'll will. be mushy if you know and soft if they, they are like, then just you know don't need to dig up anymore so diane right. you know just uh like jim was saying when the uh when the foliage starts just to naturally die back that's the best mm-hmm. time to go ahead and start digging them up um yeah and, and cutting that foliage back because honestly caladiums hate cool wet soil i mean they'll rot in a heartbeat on you right uh, and like that's your really, banana tree and that's, that's why your, you're digging them up really is just keep the things from rotting on you yeah that's it right um, so diane freezing yeah yeah so uh either whether you wait until the foliage starts to naturally die back dig them up cut it off then or dig them up you know late fall i don't care if you still have beautiful foliage you can still right. dig them up lay them down and just let it naturally die back and cut them back at that point yeah because it's nice for the energy Mm. to go back into the bulb the more energy in the bulb the more it comes out next year yeah so we appreciate diane texting in so yeah and then i think y'all you y'all two were talking about and then the the hardy banana banana tree i've got one in the corner of my yard and i was saying something to jim you know last year with that deep freeze that we had uh, even before that, I don't know why I always wait until my banana tree is just yucky, just turn into a blob. <laughs> nice word to use. Yucky, is yucky. yucky. That's before a nice word for and, that. And cut it down. And I always generally cut mine down about five inches off the ground. And Jim was like, no, maybe not. Jim would go out there on his hardy banana, and I've even mm-hmm. seen pictures of it, where he just cuts all the, the foliage off, the big leaves off. And he leaves his stalks. I mean, their stalks could be four or five foot off the ground. Look like they were eight, no, even with the fence. Tall, yeah, some yeah. Of them taller than me. But he just cut yeah. the, the foliage off. 
Uh, and mm. you know, they'll f- and every winter they have come back, except last year, like Same you say, year. it got so yeah. cold that they froze all the way to the ground. But they came back gangbusters. But my, from the I roots. guess my thing is, I'm just waiting. Of course, I can wait as long as I want to cut the thing back. I can wait till it turns into mush, which mm-hmm. I always do. But I need to go out there and go ahead and get this hardy banana. Uh, cut back or at least cut the leaves off of it before it does all turn to mush. Yeah, I would be surprised that it has it already. It probably yeah. has. I hadn't been back there in that corner to look. Yeah, you know, in fact, in fact I was I was going to show you, you all can't see this on the radio, but <laughs> this uh, one plant from a Dan West bulb uh, of, a giant, of a giant elephant ear, mm. uh, an allocation. Mm-hmm. That's the one with ears point up. Right, and it's, um, <laughs> you know, it has uh, unfortunately turned to mush because I didn't get around to cutting that one. Now, well, you, you won't dig that one up either. I don't. Yeah. Uh, no, I will throw a bag of mulch on top of it because right around it I've got some hedicums, which are gingers, uh, that I, I want to protect. So it's, uh, yeah, I'll put a little mulch on top of it, but that's it. Is it it'll be fine. Then what's bizarre with this and well, obviously there's a reason I have one of those in a container uh, on the third floor patio and the leaves have died back, but the base is still not mushy. Yeah. And I guess it's because it's a little warmer a little up warmer on the patio. From the ground, yeah. And enough. I suspect that's what it'll be when I get in there and actually cut this. It's still going to be green and, and yeah. fresh right at the ground. Yeah. So I'm going to experiment with leaving the bulb in a container on the north side where it freezes all the way through. And to prove your point that it will die. <laughs> <laughs> well, it may. That know, means I don't want to dig it up. I'm just going to leave it there. So then yeah. I call that an experiment. That's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, that's what I call the weeds in my front yard. Those this, are test plots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> well, this product really get them. And then going back, uh, switching gears, going to uh, roses. You know, one thing with uh, roses, uh, other than your, your typical black spot and mites and leaf miners and everything in between, uh, you know, especially when it comes to a lot of our knockout and shrub roses, you know, the old virus called Rose Rosette or Witch's mm-hmm. Broom. Um, Jim, you made a comment, and I've invaded, maybe you have too. I think you did. And I've also, you know, read where if you go in there and winter prune uh, these shrub roses, you're really reducing the the percentage or the risk of you getting Rose Rosette. The reason they say that is, of course, Rose Rosette is... Uh, you know, the vector is a mite. It's a it's a wind blown mite uh, that gets on these shrub roses and they carry the disease. Right. Well, they they say that the eggs are always on the top one third, uh, the mite eggs. I'm talking about of the of the shrub of the of the shrub rose. So if you go in there and cut your shrub roses back for about a third <laughs> of the way. Uh, then what you're potentially doing is is cutting off a lot of these mite eggs that are overwintering, okay? Mm -hmm. So by default, you're going to have a better chance of not getting rose rosette uh, you know, the following year. And nobody ever really prunes <clears throat> their knockouts. No, back. of course no. not. Yeah. But, so, you know, that, and that should be a season-long thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it, when it comes out in the spring after its first real heavy flush of blooms and they begin to fade, cut it back 12 inches. Yeah. Cut all that off, throw it mm-hmm. away, and then let it flush again. When it flushes and blooms again and starts to fade, cut it back 12 inches again and that way you're always staying ahead in theory of mm-hmm. the mites right you know that's been a that was a hard thing when i was doing uh maintenance or i went gardening for people's yards not really maintenance but the gardening and i would want to cut the roses back in half 
like you're talking about, but they just couldn't bear to see that. So I'm like, the well, homeowner didn't like. Yeah, to see it. I said, well, there could be a mite issue. Da 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 da. And she's like, well, I'd rather just replace them than see them cut back right now. Well, you know, so sometimes you have to. You know, weigh the the differences because how long does it take them to flesh back out? Not you don't long. even notice Not that long. they're cut back for like three yeah, days. Yeah, if you hadn't told maybe. them, they wouldn't have known. That's true. <laughs> I know. I have thought about that. Just so, do it and ask for forgiveness because it was right. That's what I. But anyway, we got to go to a break and just hang on. We have great fun on the way. morning welcome back to mid-south gardening we've been enjoying gardening with y'all this hour and a half and we've got another hour and a half to gardening with you if you'll give us a call 901-260-5926 or go to the mighty 990 facebook page or kwmradio.com and if you miss all of that you can always go back and listen to the podcast um jim you were saying last week maybe veda um that there were quite a few downloads on the podcast yes we had nearly three thousand downloads uh, last month in october that's awesome it yeah, was just it fun really of is. all the to hear all the places that i happen uh, to have that list in front of me do you yes and we didn't plan this either yeah, no, so uh-huh. go right ahead <laughs> um yeah the top 10 cities of course memphis was number one uh, bartlett was number two uh, the third was dallas texas uh, number four was atlanta Wow. Number five, New York, New York. So we got some northern people up there listening to us yeah. where it's probably snowing. Yeah. Uh, Louisville, Kentucky was number six. Nashville was number seven. Chicago was number eight. South Haven, Mississippi came in at number nine. And number 10 was Los Angeles, California. Who would have thought it? Well, you know, and we uh, appreciate everybody joining in also you know just a, a shout out to wnix down in greenville mississippi we appreciate y'all joining us this morning yeah yes, and nuga radio N- yep nuga radio over in chattanooga uh we appreciate you joining us 92.7 fm i what? want somebody from new york new york or was it new jersey LA? the other one to give us a call especially the cold wet cold weather and just share what you're going through right now because i mean here in the mid-south the southern area it's sunny outside i'm looking right now it's sunny i mean it's kind of cold but you know it's gonna be sunny and warm so if it's gonna be 52 it feels like 62 here when the sun comes yeah, out it's gonna be 60 degrees a day what a beautiful day it's going to be but there are places that people are snuggled in by the fire and oh, they're not yeah. thinking about gardening until next april no ma'am or may or june yeah. you know, when it warms up we did have a texter miss jan children she said we have a non-hardy you know we, we were talking about the hardy mm-hmm. but uh, bananas but they have a non-hardy banana uh, tree generation after generation of wild plants from St. Petersburg, Florida. Um, they are dug up every year, leaves cut off, wrapped in newspaper, and stored inside for the winter. My mother, she's talking about her mother, loved them, um, and the father hated them, of course. <laughs> well, guess who won out? So uh, Jan and them have been doing this, um, you know, and this is a gener- uh, this is a, a tradition that's been going on for over seventy years. So they're That's digging fine. these, not a hardy banana, but they're mm-hmm. digging these things up every year, cutting all those leaves off, wrapping these things in newspaper, and storing them until spring, replanting, and doing the same thing year uh-huh. after year after year. And it's been going on for over 70 years, guys. Wow. So the 
what that says is they probably dig up more than one. Oh, sure. A, a number of them. Because if you just do one, the odds are not with you on um, them always making it every well, year. Because, you know, something can happen. So that's why you need to do more than one. Like, that's why you do cuttings. You yeah. do five. Even though you want one plant, you still do five, ten cuttings. And we're always talking about how different things have sentimental value. Well, in this case, there are lots of plants out there that have sentimental mm-hmm. value. You know, we're talking about house plants in the very beginning of the show yeah. uh, that have been handed down from family to family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had uh, somebody, in, I think, in the last week post a picture of a... Uh, I think it was a rabbit's foot fern that mm-hmm. they had in their family for 90 years or I something. I mean, that's mind-boggling. Yeah, yeah, it is. So that's that's a lot of fun. I so, Jan, that. good luck. Uh, can, can you imagine if something was to happen, though, and I they know. broke the chain? That would be very oh. sad. We have a caller that, um, let's see, what was it? Well, we've got a couple. I lost the top one. Oh, something about oh a magnolia tree. Can you mulch? two to three inches around a magnolia tree where nothing grows. Well, you know what I always say about a magnolia tree? There's nothing that grows under a magnolia tree, so don't try to fight that battle. Uh, And then, you know, a lot of people make the mistake of cutting the magnolia. I'm talking about the old southern magnolia. They'll, They'll go out there and cut the limbs up on this thing to about eight feet off the ground, and all you get later on is a bunch of dead magnolia leaves up under it and roots on the surface, right? Yep. Nothing is going to grow up under there. So, yeah, I, I do like the look of a nice mulched bed under a magnolia. And what I've always heard, the general rule of thumb, as long as you don't go over four inches, you're fine. You know? Yeah. 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 So you're good to so go So you're not smothering that. the roots uh, three inches or, yeah, three yeah. inches or less. You're Just mulch. Because people ask, what can I plant under magnolia? Mulch. Like, eh, nothing. Mulch. Yeah. I mean, I see stuff growing and all, but just don't. It's so much trouble. It is. And then we have another question. Uh, Jim, I want you to elaborate. elaborate. Can you elaborate? <laughs> I'll try that. Okay. On sickness caused by live Christmas trees? Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know if sickness is the word, well, but there yeah, are allergies it's a, it's out there. Allergy. Oh, okay. Because yeah. I'm like, okay, I want you to elaborate on this too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, of course, being grown in huge numbers like they are, and if you've ever noticed the pollen from pine trees in the spring, it is there's a lot of it. The conifers produce lots and lots of pollen. So they when this do. pollen is released, it sticks to the trees. If there's sap on them or uh, just any place where they can, you'll get pollen trapped in these trees. And when you take them inside and they begin to dry and you have an air conditioner or heating unit right. on, it tends to move that, release that pollen and move around in your house. Mm-hmm. So you have um, you have a, a closed container of uh, conifer pollen that can cause sickness. Um, I had, uh, when my kids were very yeah. young, both of my boys got uh, pneumonia. That's what he was referring to. Right. Yeah. And uh, so the doctor said, you really need not to have a live Christmas tree. And I, like I said, I'd always grown up with the aluminum and, and the color mm-hmm. wheel, you know, and I thought, you know, <laughs> when I have children, I am having a yeah. real cut Christmas tree. It's amazing how many artificial mm-hmm. trees uh, we sell and, and people sell because of that one reason. Right. And a lot of people don't realize that they are allergic or the kids are mm-hmm. allergic to cut trees until they, you know, two or three or four or five or six years down the road, they're getting sick every Christmas. The only yeah. time they're getting sick is when they bring the live yeah. tree in, you know? So, yeah, yeah it's because of the spores, We were so the pollen. fortunate we didn't have that issue. You know, oh, me too. But I'm, 
A uh, lot of people buy uh, artificial trees for that for that reason that's, in that's, particular. That's and it's great that they're make. Oh, you have one too. They yeah, have an artificial one because of that. Yeah. yeah, and it's great that they make them to look more like real trees. Well, I'm struggling with that artificial tree inside right well, now. Well, I told struggling. you, that, I told y'all there was two things that I would never have ever, mm-hmm. and, and and just never right. ever. One was an artificial tree, mm-hmm. and, I, and I'm so glad I do. Yeah. And two was a gas <laughs> grill. And I'm thinking, why did it take me so long? Yeah. You know, uh, it just makes life so much easier for me. Now, mm-hmm. and don't get me wrong. I had a cut tree, and I still love them. I did it for 40 years. I dragged <laughs> that tree in there and put 8 billion lights on it. But I was never allergic to the cut tree, and no one in my family was. But that's not the case out there with a mm-hmm. lot of people. So mm-hmm. good to know that. Well, let's see. Maybe I'm going to try it with a couple of air purifiers around it. Invaded um, by God. Yeah, She's going to have that cut tree in there. Everything, but <laughs> She's sitting in the corner cool. wheezing and sneezing, but she's got but a I'm cut tree in there. Because there's other people around that have the allergies, and I just want them to go away so I can have my live tree. <laughs> <laughs> right, what about the, uh, the, yeah, the Grinch, if you will? Um, berries, berries, berries. People love to see berries, red berries, whatever berries, but mostly red berries mm-hmm. this time of year, whether it's on you know, deciduous hollies, whether it's on evergreen hollies Nandinas. and nandinas yeah. and on down the line. But you get these beautiful berries out there, you know, this time of year. And here comes the little flock of birds. And the next thing you know, every one of your berries are gone. Yeah. And we've grown up, you know, I've heard, you know, witches' tales about spraying magnesium sulfate, which is Epsom salts on them, and that's supposed to keep them off. Do witches really go around talking about gardening? Yes. you got to get in that group. Uh, I got you. Uh, old wise tale, I should say. <laughs> there we go. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know if Epsom salts works uh, on that or not. I've never seen any Mm -hmm. proof that it does but i've had people tell me that it does you know but that what does that mean right and then um heard of people spraying uh wettable sulfur on Mm -hmm. them uh you know that's supposed to smell and keep the uh, the birds away i've never seen that to be true right um i think the only thing really if you want to try to preserve the berries is not so much of any kind of a spray for say other than netting uh, the bush, and sometimes that's just so unattractive that you take away from the beauty of the berries that are on that you're trying to protect, right? Um, but then I have heard of people getting little silver, uh, like icicles or mm-hmm. tinfoil, and just kind of hanging a few of those out there. Anything that's really shiny and moves mm-hmm. that's very unnatural. Uh, a lot of times, they, they the birds are very wary of that. They just they can't figure that out. Plant more, plant more things that bury, maybe so they wouldn't take them all off of one bush. Although I've seen some bushes just stripped, but that's because that's the only food source. And then a you lot know, and then you, you you can buy the you know the inflatable snakes, you know, but you can <laughs> put one of those out there. You're never have you never have people come over. Right, you know, uh, but which could be a blessing. Also, could be a blessing, Jim. <laughs> right. And then, of course, the molded owl. You know, you can put yeah, them the, out there. The owl, I think, probably has your best shot of as a repellent. Yeah. Uh, even the, the like the the animal repellents, the spray repellents, repels on some of those, which lists things like geese and That's that, right. that sort of thing on it may have some result but it every time you get a good hard rain it's going to have to be it's replaced gold, yeah but if you get one of the molding owl molded owls like and i like the one that that actually moves the head the bobblehead yeah mm-hmm. ha, no or it has a sensor on it so that it moves and hoots 
you know. And, <laughs> That's and much better. I move like it, that. Move it around the garden, you know. Don't every, leave it in the same spot forever right. is what you're saying. And uh, and it'll do a fair job at, at keeping them out of there. So, but, uh-huh. you know. Because yeah, see, birds are like, no, there's not yeah. snakes out this time of year. I'm going to go eat, I'm I'm gonna go gonna eat go every one them. of those berries. But now, hoot owls, yeah. they're out all the time. And, and you know, one of the issues is we have so many birds that, uh, that come through here, like cedar waxwings, that are gorge feeders. They eat, in fact, they'll eat until they kill themselves. You know, that's what you hear people say, don't yeah. plant Nandinas. Kind of like me last Thursday. Yeah. They'll, uh, they'll, eat, they'll eat them, and Nandinas will do the same thing that apple seed will. They create uh, cyanide in your gut and will kill the birds. And they're stupid enough to eat enough of them to do that. Wow. You know, um, but most birds just eat a few and go on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would not uh, advocate planting a row of you know 100 foot row of nandinas uh, right in fact i seldom advocate <laughs> yeah right one yeah <laughs> <laughs> but, but i'm gonna tell you what <laughs> let, and let me say this real quick because i know we got to go to a break but you know when when we say the word nandina usually i get slapped at the garden centers you know just automatically slap <laughs> right oh, lean over here and let me help I'm you i'm telling you <laughs> but but when people in their minds you know uh jim they're invaded they're thinking about the old-fashioned nandina domestica you yeah. know your old six eight foot uncontrollable nandina with the beautiful berries yes at there the you go in zilch down yeah, below. nothing but stalks yeah. below yeah. but they yeah. have they, there's so many newer Really good looking Nandinas on the market. Yeah, I have to say uh, the one lemon lime. Lemon I think lime that obsession. Is a, that's a beautiful one. Um, I mean, blush, there, there's yeah. a blush. Yeah. I, I love that one too, mm-hmm. Beta. There, there yeah. are some good looking. If I can say this, yeah, Nandinas but out they don't there. Don't even look harbor, like a domestic. Harbor Bell, I like. It's such a dwarf, and it produces mm-hmm. berries. So that's a good one. You know, and that one doesn't like spread, right? Harbor Dwarf uh-huh. doesn't produce berries, but right. Harbor Bell does. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. to, to me, that is kind of a pretty little, you know, 10, 12-inch border. But if there was ever a time to change the name of a shrub, to give it just a new image, it would be Nandina. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be true. Right. But I, lo- I love the red berries. Well, see, I know my mother did this all the time, and then I did it in the... Uh, in the maintenance part of the yards but you prune back the oldest canes every year take them out take them out well it's a in pain theory, believe yeah. me it's a pain but you know if you don't have a whole lot of garden to take care of you can do that also i, I like them for a backdrop you know so you can plant some shrubs in front and, and hide those canes because i'm like jim it's, it's a, just ugh. it's amazing to me though you know when when gardeners find something that they don't like to do it's a pain <laughs> This you know, is true. It, when yeah. it's something that they like to do, it's gardening and they enjoy yeah. it. And it's all part of the same thing. Yeah. It's just an attitude issue. I understand mm. that, Jim. But it's, but sometimes it's, it's a, like, you know, if you go into Kroger and they have one cashier open and yeah. you have to wait in line five minutes, you go, why in the world don't they have more cash yeah. registers yes. open? Right. Yeah. Right. Now, you go in there and do the same thing and they have every cash register open and you're going, oh, I shouldn't come this time of day because it's so busy. <laughs> Your attitude changes. Nothing has changed about what you're doing. You stand in line five minutes with one uh-huh. gallon of milk, but you hate Kroger one time and the other time you think, oh, I need See, to come in a different Mr. time. The wise one is telling <laughs> right. you. Well, my, <laughs> when I say you. it's a pain, I literally mean it's a pain. It hurts. <laughs> and I don't want to hear it because I told so y'all. I'm stopping I, it. I dug up two Nandinas. Um, mm-hmm. 
And these Nandinas were part of the original landscape when I moved in this house. And they <laughs> probably were, before the house was built. Well, probably, <laughs> but they were on either side of the front door, and I kept them really nice and trim, so it didn't even look like a Nandina, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it, but it was a nice manicured. You know, I cut them all the time. Well, my wife said eventually when she, and these were Nandina domestic compactors, they were dwarves. She said, I want something a little taller here on either side of the front door. I said, not a problem. I'll just dig them up. I went and just got a shovel thinking that would do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was bone dry. And these things were so entrenched, y'all. It was like, I'm telling you, it's like I'm digging just something out of concrete. Yeah. I'm like, what? And I, yes. all right, so I started with the shovel and, and, I, and I broke the, the handle on that one. So then I went and got a, a, a the, like this axe kind of thing that you split wood mm-hmm. with. Yes. Uh, and all it did was just bounce off the roots. <laughs> So finally, I got a saw, okay? And I'm talking about a, a, a saw that, like an electrical saw, oh, they had so. to cut the thing out. All right. I used a sawzall. Yes. We'll be right back. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. So, let's see. What were we talking well, about? Well, we were talking, Kenneth was talking mm-hmm. about, you know, the all the, the effort he put into removing his is to um, Nandina. In, in dry soil. First of all, I, I would recommend that go out there with your water hose and soak that thing for, I don't know, a week <laughs> before you get ready to dig this thing up, which I didn't do. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just telling you guys, the root systems are so entrenched. I mean, they, they dig in. I mean, they really do. Yeah. And we were talking off the air, you know, I said, you know, this story's not ending either. You're going to be digging up little Nandinas yeah. from now on. <laughs> but but that's the whole, I mean, that's why Nandinas had such such a bad rap. I mean, yeah. there are a lot of them like the Nandina Domestica or mm-hmm. the Nandina Domestica Compacta that likes to spread around. And they come up from seeds so readily. Birds, yep. you know, do yeah. eat the seed and they'll pass them. You know, mm-hmm. I, I have one place where one came up for years and, and I think I finally killed it now with Roundup. I kept trying. Uh, but I still get some popping up in other places around oh, the yeah. yard. Oh, yeah. And so that somebody somewhere has got some that's producing lots of berries. But I did make the comment that I do like a lot of these new varieties I, that are I, out I there. I do, too. I have to admit if that. If you wanted something colorful planted, you could do Laura Pedalum, the Burgundy Laura Pedalum, or the Burgundy Wajilia with the lemon lime in front of it. Absolutely. And, and I'm glad you said that because... Another place that I like Nandina, honestly, mm-hmm. is in containers. Yeah, uh, that's I mean, true. I, and mm-hmm. you know, I, people never think of it because there again, when they see or hear the word Nandina, they run for the hills. Yeah. Uh, but I've seen beautiful Nandinas in containers. I'm talking about even in commercial areas, big containers mm-hmm. in these beautiful Nandinas. They're tough there. plants. I mean, they, they are. their survival rate is excellent. Yeah, so. All I'm saying is don't slap me every time I use the word Nandina. Yeah, so a, a quick um, idea for container garden would be a Nandina, a blue rug juniper, mm-hmm. add some pansies with it, um, some ivy. That would be evergreen the entire year. And then what Veda would do, she'd go out there and cut some foliage from the neighbor's mm-hmm. magnolia yeah. or deciduous holly and stick those in the container. And make then make it look Christmassy. Yep. And then take the berries out. Or Well, it's kind of a good way to feed the birds that way, too. Alright, we're going to run, but we will be right back after these messages.
the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Cart Gardening. Gosh. <laughs> hey, folks. That was Veda. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> and this is Jim Crowder. Uh, Kenneth had to step out for a little while. Is he um, going to buy a Christmas tree or no, something? No, he's going to sell Christmas <laughs> trees. You know, this is like their busiest day of the year. So, oh um, my goodness! Christmas time is right around the corner, yes, but it is. they do big, big Christmas tree business, uh, both fresh and artificial. So he is out. Uh, this this is the day that the boss says you will work. Yeah, we we were laughing because uh, my Christmas tree inventory is about ten four foot, foot tall trees. Christmas trees. Yeah. Whereas before, and then Kenneth's is there three hundred or something like that. So uh, anyway, y'all can give us a call, 844-747-8868. Yep, or you can tune us in at kwamradio.com and listen from anywhere in the country. Tell your friends, wake them up, say, yeah. listen to these fools. Get awake, or gonna, listen to podcasts they if they get, won't get up. That's right. Yeah, we have podcasts of all the past shows. And uh, so your Facebook there's page. proof of what we actually said. That's true. That is true. So got to be careful there. Yeah, our fa- uh, Facebook page at Jim is administrator. Mid-South Gardening. Yeah, ask you to join that. And we have lots of information. We're going to talk a little bit more this hour about boxwood blight. It has been identified here in Shelby County, uh, which is not good news mm-hmm. for us because we have so many beautiful, ancient American boxwood that are highly susceptible to this disease. So uh, we are going to talk about that and what you can do to help prevent it um, and what you have to do if you end up with it. So Right. And hopefully what uh, the right proper po- uh, planting procedures, the right watering procedures, the right mulching procedures, uh, keeping the leaves out of the crown, those are all some things that are preventative for any type of problem. So if you can keep that done, then it could reduce the issue somewhat. But at the same time, this is something that's been really hard to yeah. In fact, corral. We'll, we'll just yeah. go ahead and get into this a little mm-hmm. bit. Okay, Boxwood blight first entered the country that we know of around 2011. It was found in a nursery in Virginia. Uh, it's been came over from Europe somehow. Um, so anyway, over there, they have a lot of boxwood that are resistant and they have boxwood forest over there. Wow. Uh, really? Yeah. So they, I mean, it ha- it's been an issue, but not like it is here because we grow so many American boxwoods here that are highly susceptible to this disease. Uh, so anyway, in 2011, it was identified in, in the 10 years since it has spread to uh, nearly 30 states in isolated pockets. Uh, it's been here in Tennessee for a while. It was in uh, Knoxville and Nashville. And then just this last week, we've gotten a positive ID here in Shelby County for boxwood blight. And this is an established garden. It wasn't a new plant brought in, so it wasn't something that came from a nursery. Uh, this it got moved in somehow. It's not blown in the wind, which is a good thing, okay? It is has a very sticky spore, but it can be transported on your clothing, on your shoes particularly. It can be trans, and it's spread most often by maintenance equipment, um, using head shears and spray hoses and anything that it the spore can stick to can spread it between gardens. Uh, and so, and... 
one of the things that we know is that in this particular garden, they had a, have a maintenance crew that's in there, uh, but they have a, like 60 accounts that not far from there. So it's likely that we're going to see this pop up through no fault of their own. They didn't know mm-hmm. uh, because we just haven't had it here. Uh, but it is likely to be a an issue here with American boxwood. Um, the, here's some things, too, that we have to worry about. You know, your spray company, your lawn company that comes in and does your lawn, that may end up carrying it. Um, your maintenance people, birds can spread it on their feet. Um, there is a preventative. Um, in fact, they recommend daconil, and you can alternate with tebuconazole, which you see in a good many, and, and propoconazole, I think, which are in a good many fungicides. But you don't want to just use the, the propoconazole. You want daconil is, is by far the better control uh, on this particular disease. But you're going to end up having to spray every two weeks through the growing season as long as you're in the boxwoods if to be really proactive against it. Um, now, like I say, there are some boxwoods that are resistant, and I've posted a list, and I'm going to have a, a larger list uh, this next week posted on our website, on, on our Facebook group, Mid-South Gardening, uh, that shows you varieties that are resistant. Now, they can still carry the disease, so you, you want to make sure that you're cleaning your garden, particularly getting up the the leaves off there you know and veda brought up a point earlier we've talked many times about you know it's like around hydrangeas trying to pick up the leaves well it really doesn't make significant impact because that is a wind-blown fungus Mm -hmm. it's on every plant around it not just that hydrangea right there it's on azaleas and everything else it's just not a suitable host for them where this is not blown this is actually sticking so it's uh, it's going to be it, it's going to be important if you have an infected plant to get those leaves up. Dig that plant up. Uh, it, ha- it needs to be double bagged and disposed of. You don't want it going in your compost pile. You don't want it going to a uh, mulch company that's going to chop it up and mm-hmm. send it back out in your mulch. Uh, so it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be an interesting now to see how uh, how much damage mm-hmm. is going to be done. Uh, Right. So I would say if you have not done any fertilization in terms of replenishing the health of the soil, uh, work on that. You know, there's the boxwood. I think um, there used to be a recipe that we used so much to have the boxwoods healthy. Now we kind of revert to the plant tome because it's basically has all the mixtures in it that we used to make. The special mixture was like cottonseed meal, milorganite, Epsom salts. Uh, was there one more ingredient, Jim? Was it blood meal in it? Yeah, too? I think so. For blood meal. Yeah. yeah. So um, if you haven't done any fertilizing like that, I mean, you know, some people use the Osmocote or the um, other types of fertilizer, but make sure you use compost or plant tone to put all the microorganisms and everything, keep them in the soil, keep them real healthy. That way they can work on subduing other issues with your plant. Uh, the leaf litter. Like, I mean, even I see piles of leaves in the middle of the boxwoods. I mean, that that causes all kinds of issues because for me at first, it was hard to tell the difference between just a boxwood that was not well maintained versus that it was just getting that blight. And uh, because when I saw the picture, I thought, oh, well, they hedged it 
when it was really hot outside and they took so much green off that it burned the center. But then when you look closer, isn't it that each stem has black yeah, lesions? Typically, the first signs are, le- are circular spots, similar to Circospora, mm-hmm. uh, on the foliage. Then um, it has massive leaf drop, uh, particularly around the base of the plant. And then the stems will have black streaks in them. Uh, so if, if you think you have it uh, on our Facebook group, in fact, I'll look up here mm-hmm. and give you, put out Leslie's... Um, uh, email address here and you send her a picture and then you know if she feels like she needs to come out they'll take a sample and verify it and then you want to uh, follow the, the the best maintenance practices mm-hmm. and i have this posted again on our facebook group um there's an inf- uh, an informative article of, and it shows the the garden here in memphis where there actually is damage so you'll see what it looks like in the garden uh, and then there's a second file that has what you need to do if you have it, you know, and, and how to prevent it. And, um, and also, you know, you want to think about if you have to replace something, don't go back with American box. Yeah, I know. And so what is it going to be? Because right. there's really, really, really nothing. There's nothing that really gives you that perfectly round sheared look that an american mm-hmm. box would give you i yeah. mean it's you know there's just nothing yeah jap you know the closest thing in size is probably going to be dwarf yopons that yeah. are healthy you know I, I don't recommend planting uh the large japanese hollies because right. they're going to get black root rot right about seven years down the exactly. road so you could <laughs> so, do compact hollies but see they're going to get the compact to have the problems they would get with black the root, root rot just you know any of the japanese hollies or any of the blue mm-hmm. hollies the meserves those you have issue with yeah yeah um, so that's why we like to recommend compact hollies for really dry drought drought tolerant areas yeah. <laughs> so that way they don't uh well like the boxwood if it's in too much water it's just got issues all around so anyway if you have a maintenance company that works in your yard uh, please encourage them to sterilize their tools and that's just spraying it with a can of lysol uh, their tools and their the soles of their shoes, particularly uh, when they enter your garden, um, just to be on the safe side. Uh, again, if if you've got it, please notify your spray company or something to let them know that you know this box with blight here for them mm-hmm. to sterilize their 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 hoses okay let's go to a break and it's, then because there's and we'll so much something. to talk we'll about. talk about christmas when we come back <laughs> then we'll talk about plants and callers so we will be back after these messages good morning welcome back to mid-south gardening talking about all these wonderful things going on in your garden I did want to talk about one more thing about boxwood blight and then we'll, we'll change subjects here unless Callers want to talk about it, but uh, it only affects plants that are in the Buxiaceae family. But unfortunately, that includes Pachysandra, which is a quite common ground cover here. So uh, it's just as deadly to it as it is to American boxwood. It's hard to think they're related, mm-hmm. but they are. So I know it is. Okay, so because um, it sounds definitely like Latin, so let's write this one down so y'all can look it up and not be worried. But you said Buxiaceae. Buxiaceae. Yeah, yeah. spell that. B U X A C E A E. That's good. I had a U in there. Nah. Well, <laughs> at first, yeah. 
B-U-X. Oh, okay. Yeah, so look that one up. That will help because there's lots of varieties of boxwoods. So so you don't go into a panic over a boxwood that you don't even have. Right. So mm-hmm. educate. And that's why we have the Latin names or the botanical names mm-hmm. right there. Because if we were just saying boxwood but it only gets certain ones, how are we going to know if everything is a boxwood? Right. So that's why we've got botanical names. We've got some calls. Let's go to David. Good morning, David. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Hey, morning. Yeah, I heard you talking about those boxwoods and that they were the related species. And I guess just as you were talking, the ground cover, too, uh, can get affected. So I'm just wondering, you're talking basically extinction, right? If this thing spreads in America and you said it's already at 30 states? Um, uh, well, it, yeah. It, it, I mean, it could conceivably get to that now, you know, because the spores aren't windblown. Uh, they're going to have to be moved, you know. They're going to be uh, gardens where it's just not going to get into, uh, where they people well, do their own maintenance and that sort of thing. You know, when you start talking extinction of a species that used to be in North America, that seems like that should be in the infrastructure project, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, let's see. It, it's like this, okay? Yeah. It's already spread to 30 states. Okay, right. it's going to continue to spread. So We've spent billions of dollars mm-hmm. trying to stop the emerald ash borer. We've thrown billions and billions of dollars at it, and it's continued to spread. And so finally they just said, hey, we're not going to throw any more money at it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's basically well, what that's, would happen. That, that's incompetence. You know, no. I mean, any, anybody that gives up the ship, I, I'm not interested in uh, having them on the paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> and if America's got people at the top who are intentionally uh, saying it's okay to extinct, that's not, it's not acceptable to me. And, and so the whole idea, I've talked in the past weeks, you know, about topsoil being part of the infrastructure. Well, mm-hmm. if the extinction of certain species in America are being uh, fast-tracked, you know, if they don't want to have, I mean, you can imagine some just boxwood team. Right, and they come up with a plan for. You said it's only in pockets, right? In those thirty states, it's not covering those thirty states, just pockets, right? That's correct. Maybe they can do a stop, you know. Maybe they can cause, and then you realize in these floods, or how does this stuff spread? You know, is mm-hmm. it uh, hot? You know, teams, right? So it seems like it'd be easy enough to get something worked on. Well, unfortunately, it's it's not as easy to say. We we identified it in one nursery in Virginia right off the bat, and we couldn't stop it from there. So you know, it's not. It, it I mean, it sounds wonderful. It would be great if we could just you know put together a, a group of guys in Tyvek suits and go around remove them all and it's over. But it isn't going to be that way. Uh, the spores last you know can last five to six years. You're not going to get every leaf out of every garden, so it's... it's I guess the infrastructure improvement would only be uh, adding compost to soil, not... You'll be able to drive better to and from these infected gardens, let's put it that way. Yeah, you wouldn't (laughs) plant them. That would be an infrastructure improvement, is not planting. Uh, mending soil could, but it's a big education thing in the horticultural ind- industry. Yeah. And so what if you don't, I mean, we love boxwoods for the beauty part, but so what if you don't have them in the landscape? We in will general? do something else. Yeah. We'll yeah. just use something else. So, uh, I mean, it's just like diseases, infection diseases. Yeah. Couldn't you know, stop COVID. Yeah. So, um, we got another caller. We got time let's for another go one. Two, Mr. Paul. Good morning, Mr. Paul. You're in the Mid South Garden. Good morning, Veda, Kenneth, and Jim. How are you, my friend? Doing good. How y'all doing? All right. 
I'm so, I'm so glad that y'all are talking about those botanical names, mm-hmm. which I was so resistant to learning them. Same. <laughs> <laughs> but I enjoyed Vader repeating that several times while ago. Of course, I've already forgot it. Right. Several years ago, uh, Carol Reese and Rita Randolph was out here at the nursery, and I had a new sedum out there that... Uh, uh, somebody had given me, and uh, oh, Mark Pitts gave it to me to trial, and I found out what it was, and it was, I called it Turkish sedum, and it was blue, and I looked up the name on it and everything, and I called it, I told Carol, I said, yeah, that's uh, Biffy Niceum, mm-hmm. and she said, Biffy Niceum, and then she thought a minute, and she said, you know, some people call that Bithnikium. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, the thing was is I was I was using the syllables, but not the correct pronunciation. Yeah. And if you use it correctly, that name will just roll off the tongue. Yeah, it's like the fungus Bithy- that causes bite is Colonectria pseudonaviculata. But <laughs> right, are you yeah. going to remember that? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> But anyway, that taught me an important lesson about that, you know, we, and we think we know stuff. Right. And I'd been using that term incorrectly, but Carol was real nice and kind. (laughs) You know, uh, she didn't, she just said some people call that Bithnikium, and when she did, I knew exactly that I had been pronouncing it wrong all that time. Uh, I even pronounced English wrong, so I've got a yeah, hard time with that other People stuff. People just don't understand unless they're from the South. Right, I was going to say, it really sounded like that you would add the Southern accent to the way you had said that. They were real similar, right. but it sounded like you were more Southern when you pronounced it. Exactly. <laughs> well, Mr. Paul, it's so wonderful for you to give us a call. Um, yeah, Carol, well, you actually named us Edom for Carol Reese, or we kind of nicknamed it the Carol Reese Sedum. We did. We did. Yeah. We did it's because nobody wanted to say, what was it? Uh, Pitchium <laughs> or something. We'll be right back. And welcome back to Mid South Garden. Glad to have everyone with us today for our third hour. Fantastic! Uh, Kenneth has had to leave early today, and um, we're going to go talk about. We got Christmas trees and shrubs and container garden for Christmas to go. All right. Well, why don't you? Which one do you want to talk about first? Oh, let's do Christmas trees. All let's right. Get let's get warmed let's talk up. About Christmas trees. Yeah. Since Veda doesn't do a whole lot of Christmas trees, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll do this one, then you can do your container. All right, stuff. since you don't do okay. a whole lot of um, <laughs> Okay, first thing is when you go to pick one out, cut Christmas tree. Uh, well, first, let's put this out of the way. <laughs> a live Christmas tree, one with a root bile on it. If you're going to, if you want to have one in your house and you want to plant it afterwards and grow it, it cannot stay in your house more than about three days. Period, okay, because after that, and more than that, it's going to think it's springtime, and the buds begin to swell, and then when you mm-hmm. put it out, it will die. I've now, experimented with that, and it didn't work. And you will not know it's dead until sometime late spring, because it will sprout out, look fine, and then suddenly collapse. So don't 
waste your money on it if you think you're going to keep it inside more than, you know, put it up the day before Christmas, take it out the day after. All right, now, but cut Christmas trees, okay? They've been cut a while. So when you get them, either if, if the lot doesn't give you a fresh cut on the end of it, when you get it home, get a fresh cut on it and get it in water as soon as possible, under two hours preferably. Uh, that way the sap hasn't hardened over that would prevent water from getting up into the plant. And that's going to be the key thing. Uh, when you transport it home, um, preferably we'd like to have it baled so that you keep air out of the inside of it. Um, and also don't drive 70 miles an hour, okay, <laughs> and suck all the moisture out of it. Take back roads, go slowly, uh, and get it home. Uh, when you pick out one, you know, you ought to just pick it up and kind of drop it about two inches and see how many needles it drops. It's going to drop some, but, you know, if it, there's a pile underneath there, then pick on a different tree. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you should grab the tips of the branches and just see if they bend. And they should bend over nicely. If they snap, pick another tree. All right. So anyway, now you got it home. You got it in the stand, Okay. Important thing is don't let the dog drink all the water out of it. It needs to stay underwater. If it dries out, there are a couple of things you can do. Um, and the easiest thing is just take a drill, get up underneath there, and drill below the water line, and then fill it back up so water flows into those holes, and it gives you a fresh place for water to get up in it. But try to keep it full so that that doesn't happen. Right. Uh, place it where it's away from heat, drafts, things like that. And it should last, you know, if you put it up at Thanksgiving, it sh- after Thanksgiving, it should last all the way till yeah. Christmas, you know. Um, so that's that's the best way to take care of it. Right. So just think about this. If you're in a hurry and you're thinking about the Christmas tree and maybe there's not a fresh cut on there and you're just going to run and stick it in the stand and hope for the best, Man, just don't do it. The best is not going to be good. Right. The <laughs> chances are, because you know, you're going to have to undecorate that tree. Take all those lights off and do it all over again. So just think that little moment. And, okay, so if it does get in the stand without the bottom cutting off, then definitely get the drill. Okay, so you don't have a drill. I would use a knife <laughs> and just start cutting that. Yeah, but just do it because just it get really... some fresh wood. Split that bark so that you get some cambium layer that can get hold of that water. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think like when people uh, splice plants together, graft them together. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're cutting the outside off and splicing them together and then wrapping them. So you can, it's kind of, it's not going to kill, well, your tree's already dead, but it's not going to make it go dead faster because you're cutting into it more on the sides or stripping the bark off. So that's a really good way to do it. Just do it. And um, And then poinsettias, okay? Oh, yeah, poinsettias. Most important thing about poinsettias is not letting them get chilled. Um, Having been in this business as long as I have, I can look at a poinsettia and tell you whether or not it's gotten cold by the time it left its grower and the time it actually got in your cart, okay, when you're ready to take it home. Um, So make sure that, preferably if it's cool outside, that they sleeve it or put it in a bag so you keep the cold air off of it. You know, don't leave it in the cold car while you're shopping. Take it on home, get it in in some more thing, and get it watered. It should stay moist but not stand in water, okay? So if you've got that little pretty foil sleeve on there, when you water, make sure that you, 15 minutes or so, you pour off any excess water that's in there. 
If you take care of it properly, it should look just as good on Mother's Day as it does Christmas Day. I'm telling you. Mm, yeah. Okay. They hold true. flowers a long time. But if it's dropping leaves on the 1st of December, you know. Yeah. It's already <laughs> it's messed up. In bad shape. Forget about it. Well, like in our garden building, it's very, it's warm in there. Mm-hmm. Norm, you know, like you want it. But there's one section that um, under the door, there's no weather stripping. So it's a good breeze. And the. Uh, you, if you put a poinsettia on the floor right there in that area, if we had displayed them there, the cool breeze going in through the ground, I mean, on the ground would actually be too cold. Even though the building's warm, that spot would mm-hmm. be too cold. So watch things like that, too. And then um, also things that we like to do for Christmas is, you know, we want some decoration outside, something that looks really pretty. And there's a number of things that I do. Sometimes I have a container that had all kinds of summer things in it. I just cut all the summer things back, and then I've got the container with just soil. And I'll take Christmas cuttings, like off a Christmas tree, or go out and get cuttings from evergreens in your yard, and just start sticking them in the container. You know, that's your base. Just stick those down in there. Then go out and and prune a different texture of evergreens, and, and maybe at different levels, and stick those in there upright you're sticking the stems in the soil then go and prune berries different textures of berries stick those in there go get some boxwood prunings well should we do that now? <laughs> come to think of it should i just fr- if they're dropping leaves no don't do that yeah <laughs> so yeah exactly hmm good point but anyway as some type of evergreen <laughs> boxwoods has just got the look cut some of those go deep into the boxwood and cut a whole stem and then stick those down into the container Um, there's other various things you can put in there, but now you've got a nice Christmas container that will make it through the whole winter because it's cold outside. Uh, They'll hold their moisture well because you've used evergreen things. When the season's over, you can take the red berries out or leave the red berries in there, but you can take the red berries out and just have a nice green container with no roots. (laughs) Just real easy. And you cannot make an ugly arrangement. You really can't. No, no, you can't. If you're using and filling it up and just, you know, not covering up anything because the plant stem in front's too big, you're going to make a nice looking container. I, I, uh-huh. I sat through a lecture one time where a guy brought in all these weed flowers, okay, mm-hmm. and pieces of grass, and he brought in little tiny vases, and he gave everybody a handful of these in a vase and uh-huh. said, here, stick them in there. And there was not an (laughs) ugly arrangement in any of them by the time you put all the flowers in there. I mean, it was cute. You know, that's a very good point. Yeah. So, you know, you think you can't do flower arranging? Well, guess what? You can. Yeah, exactly. In fact, I went up against Rick Pudwell in a one-on-one <laughs> contest, and I won. Oh, because Rick Pudwell's <laughs> known it was good. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. But um, yeah. So I get in touch with my feminine side, and she's going to be a booger to work with sometimes. But. <laughs> Oh, remember one time we did that container garden talk yes. out at, yes. I mean, that was like 15 years ago or something yeah. at a Vesta Home Show or yep. whatever. That was mm-hmm. so fun. But I guess, yeah, anyway. So uh, <laughs> Christmas containers and also, you know, maybe ask your neighbors before you jump the fence to prune the red berries <laughs> off. And like I have spotted, oh, say junipers. junipers. Junipers have those blueberries yes. on them. And I have spotted the best, fullest juniper tree with berries. And I'm trying to devise a way to get through all the traffic, get over on the side of the road and be safe and go prune those. Uh, It's probably not a good thing, but um, 
I'm looking for some berries to prune. And you can do that with your live. You can buy a wreath at the garden shop. And uh, you can also, because they're on wire, the wreaths. And what they are is just greens weaved into the wire. Mm -hmm. So you can utilize that wire to hold stems of magnolia leaves, stems of berries. So you could come in and buy just a green wreath already made. And uh, then go back to your house and collect things from your yard and just weave it in or push it in. It's real easy. And if you don't like like the way it looks, add more. That's right. Just keep adding. And hot glue gun does great for putting Nandina berries up on there. I haven't done that before. That yeah, would be a good d- idea. Yeah, it works well, you know, on the stems. Don't get the on the berries. It comes mm-hmm. turns black. I've but. done one with uh, wood fern. I mean, autumn fern, Nandina mm-hmm. berries, juniper, uh, foster holly. So you can find all that stuff in your yard. Yep. Yeah, you just didn't even know. So y'all go uh, Martha Stewart it up. Is that, is that what we say now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Martha Stewart, an icon in gardening. Okay, so let's see. We With would a perfect s- manicure. Yeah. Yeah, see, that's why I don't like to check water knuckle deep because I don't want to mess my nails up. And if you have your gloves on, you can't tell. So I'm just going to go with the moisture meter. And it's kind of like the older you get, the more tools I want. (laughs) You know, I'm starting to need tools. (laughs) Okay, let's go. We're going to take a break, aren't we? Yes, we're going to take a break. (laughs) You're listening to Mid-South Garden, and we will be right back after these messages. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. One thing I wanted to mention real quick is if you're buying house plants, like larger ones, don't put them in the back of your pickup and drive them home. Yes. Because they do need to stay Pick, in the cab. Pickups are not normally a good idea unless you can cover the, the foliage and keep the wind off of them. Yeah. Um, but, you know, really, that's like that with any plant, especially in the summer, trees. Oh, yeah. You put, throw in the back of the pickup and about two days later, the leaves fall off and, you know, they usually recover. But... Yeah, be just take um, thought process about putting th- how you're storing things before you drive down the road. Um, and then we were talking about containers again. Doing Christmas containers is uh, one good thing, but also you want to do things that uh, you can plant with roots <laughs> that are evergreen. You know the the uh, troughs that hang on the walls, the fences under the windows. Some people call them hay racks. Some people call them troughs. You can actually still have plants in those all winter you can use uh, evergreen ground covers to trail over the front you can use junipers to trail over the front front nandinas in the back um hollies you know there's mm-hmm. all kinds anything that stays green all winter you can put in those containers one of the my favorite things are eucharist you know oh uh, yeah how could i forget that yes yeah, so many of them are colorful and they're evergreen mm-hmm. you know i've got uh, I have three containers. They look the same, but they're different sizes on my front porch. And um, I have Rex begonias in there, and they yeah. usually winter uh-huh. in that just fine and come back. Um, I have some variegated ivies mm-hmm. that are beautiful. You know, they trail down yeah. to, to the ground across the yard and into the flower Right, bed. and then <laughs> keep going to the neighbor's yard. and then yeah. <laughs> Well, so... so um, Wait, which one that died down? Oh, the Rex begonia. So you have yeah. good luck with it coming. With coming back. Now, last year, I dug them out. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but I dug <laughs> them out and, and then replanted them this spring, and I'm glad I did because they probably would not have withstood zero degrees. Yeah. Uh, See, I thought last night, um, I was thinking about the garden center, and I said, oh, no, I left five Rex begonias out last night. 
they're under frost cloth, but I'm wondering if they're that gone because be no, they were on the ground. So that be fine. Help. I in hope fact, so. I've got uh, on my front porch. Of course, it's gotten to 26 at my house. Uh, I have a, a table fern terrace, uh, Victoria, which is mm-hmm. quite tall, uh, 20 inches or so, variegated. It's very tropical. Uh, but so far, it has survived up underneath the, the eave there. Mm-hmm. Uh, no frost can get to it, and it's withstood the 26 degrees. And either it's still frozen and hadn't thawed out, or it's actually yeah. still alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, that's the whole thing. Microenvironment has a huge, yes, plays a huge deal in it. I have heard, like, this doesn't come back here, this doesn't come back here. But all the multi-yards I go in, you see things that technically don't come back here. But the little microenvironment was just enough mm-hmm. to make it I uh, had a, a foxtail fern, uh, asparagus myri, mm-hmm. that came back for five years in a row. It was planted on the east side of the house right next to concrete. Yeah. Uh, and it stayed warm enough. We had mild enough winters that it, it came back every year. But uh, eventually we had a winter that uh-huh. uh, where it succumbed. Well, yeah, um, that was something that was, I had been watching a foxtail fern, actually. Uh, two of them were planted in front of a concrete building on a sidewalk in uh, concrete planters and they had been there for all year but then last year when we had that snow and everything they still survived Mm -hmm. so i guess the snow insulated enough and then it had just accumulated enough heat in that container from all the surrounding area Mm -hmm. to make it but foxtail ferns don't live outside not normally (laughs) but they did through that one degree and all it was just the perfect microenvironment. so you kind of have to take and to discern what gardeners tell you uh, into, like, don't do it. It doesn't work. Don't well, try it anyway. Exactly. You know? I have to try it. Yeah. And, uh, oh, one last thing, too, is camellias. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Must think was gorgeous right now. They're in full bloom. Luckily, I haven't had. They're in the shade, so mm-hmm. there's, they haven't been exposed to uh, a hard frost yeah. at all. Uh, so they're fine. Oh, yeah. Uh, I keep posting pictures of camellias on our uh, Instagram story post, and people are going to say, you know, stop it. But their blooms are so gorgeous. I can't help but taking pictures of them. Camellias is a great plant to have now. It's evergreen. Uh, Some bloom in the winter, some bloom in the spring. Uh, There's even one called Yuletide, red. It's actually Mine's already started. Yeah. Uh, but it usually has flowers on it at Christmas. Plant your tulip bulbs if you hadn't. It's time to start putting bulbs in the ground. Okay. Yay, um, yay. Even though we're going to have a, a week of warm weather next week, mm-hmm. and get a, I plan to get out and do some cleanup in the garden, and clean up the things that got zapped in the frost. All of my ginger and that sort of thing yeah. you now looks like um, cooked cabbage. Ooh, uh, yeah. You know. It's uh, fortunate that we, we get to have nice weeks throughout. Yes. Yeah, so even though this is a little warm and it kind of takes off the Christmas season, uh, it's going to be fantastic for working in the yard. I'm, and really, actually, I'm glad it's going to be a little warm because I can do some of these containers really quickly and enjoy it instead yeah. of freezing <laughs> out there trying to do it. Hands frozen, trying to cut berries. Legs frozen, can't jump over the fence. I mean, get out of the truck. <laughs> so there's lots of stuff to do in the garden. I mean, gardening is not stop in the Mid-South. No, it doesn't. You know, and I, I wouldn't want it to. You know? Ah, me either. You know? Yeah, that's why I was wanting some people from New York to give us a call and let us know, uh, you know, just, I guess, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Watching the snowfall. Yeah. 
I guess there's probably more garden rooms. You know, the biggest thing about houseplants is the light and the humidity. Yeah. Really. And uh, the more light you can add, wow, they're going to perform so much better. Just a smidge extra light sometimes helps a plant. Mm -hmm. But for that, I'm going to that because I think if I was stuck indoors all the time, I would have to have a garden room. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, I guess that's the reason for basements. I have a, uh, yeah, I have a garden garage. (laughs) <laughs> a garden garage, yeah, yeah. Oh, a lady had come into the garden center the other day, and she's so thrilled because she has a garden garage now. And I told her about your garden garage. But she's just buying plants and grow lights and mm-hmm. fertilizers and pruners. She's got a whole new space to garden now. That's right. Yeah, so you can convert uh, things into garden rooms. I mean, the teenagers are doing that now. The millennials, wow, the plants that they're growing indoors. It's so exciting. I mean, that's usually like something that older people do. (laughs) But now everybody's into houseplants. Well, it's been fun. We'll be back next week. We hope you'll enjoy us. Tune in, uh, listen to the podcast again. We're here every Saturday morning. So uh, we appreciate you joining us. Yeah, look forward to seeing you next Saturday in the Mid-South Garden.